Welcome to the audio podcast for Beit Abba, the Messianic Jewish ministry at the Father's house. We exist to proclaim the gospel to the Jewish people and to connect Christians to Israel and the Jewish roots of our faith. As you guys can tell, uh, Pastor Miles and Pastor Catherine aren't here tonight. They're actually down in Dallas, Texas. So if you could just pray for them uh, while they're down there and just kind of a safe return. Uh, But at our last service, um, Pastor Miles was kind of um, introducing us a lot. Well, really kind of continuing on with the fall festivals. And so really set us up for the high holy days, the days that we're entering now, starting at uh, Rosh Hashanah. And so we're going to dig into that a little bit today. We're going to look at the high holidays. We're going to look at what this day really means. But before we go there, we really need to look back at the scripture and and what it says for us. So Leviticus 23, I've got a little bit of feedback. Do I need to move some? Okay, maybe it's just me. All right. Uh, Leviticus 23, 23 through 25 says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying the seventh month on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blasts of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. Go ahead, let's pray. God, we just, uh, just pray over this time tonight that, Father, your word would be spoken. Uh, Father, you would descend down and speak to our hearts and do things that only the Holy Spirit can do. Uh, Father, that, uh, that you would begin to illuminate this holiday for us and, and your sovereignty and how you have aligned that with where we are in the history of the world today. Father, we thank you so much that you have brought this body together, that you've allowed us to, to be back inside, that we get to be in community. Father, we love you and we, we worship you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, do you guys remember vacation? Right? Anybody? It's that thing where, like, it's been a while. So you pack a bag, you put some clothes in it, maybe you jump in the car or an airplane and you go somewhere other than the inside of your house. I know it sounds just completely crazy, but, but vacation is actually a really fun, amazing thing. Chris and I love going on vacation uh, with the kiddos. We haven't been on a lot recently, uh, but when we do, my favorite one is kind of to, to sit by a beach somewhere where they bring you food and drink. Um, I'm like really good at that. I don't mean to brag, but that's probably one of my strengths. Um, <laughs> But, but I love vacation because I love going to new places and, and learning new things and discovering new things and, and going to places I've always wanted to go. But, but we can be honest, not all locations are the same, right? Like, like there's Hawaii and there's Milwaukee. You know, I mean, like, that, that's just not at all. I don't want to go to Milwaukee. I have no desire to go. Uh, in fact, I was preparing, and I thought of that, and I was like, what is there even to do in Milwaukee? And so I Googled it and didn't change my mind. I'm good. I had no desire to go there even still. Uh, but, but one of my favorite vacations, uh, what kind of trips was in college with my buddy Dave. Dave was my, my roommate, and um, his parents were missionaries, grew up down in Florida. And then his parents found some, like, buy one, get one free deal on acreage in Montana. And I guess they do that up there. So they bought, like, a big piece of land, and they built their own house. So after school and after work, Dave and his brother and his sisters would go to the house, and they start building the house. And one of my favorite movies growing up took place in the mountains of Montana. And so as soon as I found out that my roommate was from there, I'm like, oh, this is happening. Like, we're going to go someday. And so finally, one year around Christmas time, I think it may have been our, our sophomore or junior year, we decided that we're going to go up to Montana. We're going to spend a couple days with his family. And so we get on MapQuest, if you guys remember that thing, and we print a few uh, instructions out of directions. We pack a bag and we jump in his 1992 red four-cylinder Geo Metro. 
And I mean, this thing was amazing. It had like the, the windows you had to crank, like you, you, some of those cars you saw to do that, right? Uh, it had headlights that worked sometimes, um, that it was no cruise control whatsoever. And so uh, we just like destroyed this car over a, a number of years. And, and we pushed that thing to the edge and beyond. In fact, Dave went on to be a, a fighter pilot who flew F-16s. So I tell you, Dave drove that thing crazy. You know what I'm saying. So, <laughs> so we, we were kind of make our way up. It's, it's the, uh, obviously the, the winter time in Colorado, um, and we're about to head on up to Montana through Wyoming. And that time of the year, it gets real dark real quick. And so we jump in the car and we start driving. And before we know it, the sun is setting and it's a moonless night. There, there's nothing out there except the stars. So we're kind of navigating off the stars and these busted headlights. And every once in a while, as you get close to the mountains, you can see the stars disappear. And that's where you know you've got this giant rocky mountain sitting next to you. It was amazing. I've never seen this many stars in my life. I grew up down in the southeast. So all we see is big, tall trees everywhere. I've, I've not experienced this. And so as we get a little bit closer, we finally get into Dave's neighbor or Dave's uh, hometown. And again, just pitch black. There's nothing around except for a single light way out there in the distance. And Dave's like, hey, man, do you see that light? I'm like, well, of course. There's literally nothing else out here, Dave. Absolutely, I see the light. He's like, that's my house. And so I'm like, oh, man, this is amazing. So for the next, like, 20 minutes, we're just, like, back and forth, like, up this mountain, just trying to, like, hone in and navigate on that light so we can get home. And we make it to Dave's house, and his parents meet us and help us with our bags and uh, welcome us inside. And, and that's when Dave's mom busts out this cheesecake. And I don't know if you guys know this, but that's the sixth love language, cheesecake. It's amazing. And so we, we sit down, we're having some cheesecake at their dining room table, and um, as we're, we're sitting there, we're kind of overlooking kind of all these windows that look out into the view that I would see tomorrow. And it's just pitch black. And I must have wondered aloud, like, man, I wonder what it looks like out there. And Dave just kind of grins at me a little bit. It's like, oh, just wait, man. So we go to bed. Next morning, I wake up, and I'm really excited because I've wanted to go to Montana my whole life. And now, like, I'm finally there, and I have no idea what I'm going to see. And so Dave's mom was an architect, and she designed the house that her husband then built. And she decided the second floor was going to be the main floor and have a long porch on it that would stick out from the mountains, and you could see the view from there. So I walk out, and from the front porch of his house, there's three distinct mountain ranges. And it's like, like plains, like just nothing, just completely uninhabited lands. And then these mountains are just erupting out of the earth. And then they're just, everything is covered in this beautiful white soft snow. And I just stood there and didn't have a word to say. And I just had to take it in. It was, it was just unbelievable. And Dave finally comes out and stands next to me. He's like, hey man, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think I am. That's one of the things I love about traveling. I love that there are these places I've never been that God has made and that when I get there, it just makes me feel small. It's one of those places that stirs wonder in my heart and that wonder leads me into worship. And you know, the book of Leviticus is known as the book of law, but, but really it's a book of law that helps define how we as a people are to worship God. And so... Um, <clears throat> You know, Exodus through Numbers are really the story of God kind of um, setting aside his people. And in Leviticus, we find in the heart of the Pentateuch is this book of worship, this book of how we are to relate and to worship the Lord. It gives us kind of those details of how God set the people of God apart and set them aside for the story of salvation. We read over in Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8, that uh, for you are a people holy to the Lord, 
The Lord your God has chosen you out of all people on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. And so that's kind of where we're picking up in the biblical narrative. That God has chosen this people to be his holy possession, to, to bring relationship with him through the world. And, and Rosh Hashanah is kind of um, where we find ourselves today as the head of the new year. And, and it's one of those holidays that just has so much meaning in it that as you start like peeling back the onion, it almost gets really confusing. Because there's some things about it that are really solemn and reverent, and there's other things that are very festive and celebratory. It's Rosh Hashanah is known as Yam Teruah, um, which can, can be translated as a, a day of shouting or a day of blowing. It's also the, the start of the Jewish civil new year. So we're leaving um, 5780 and stepping into 5781. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready for a new year. Like it'd be good to get some freshness and some newness. Um, it's also marked as kind of an agricultural season, and so it marks one of those agricultural shifts for us. And then it's also believed to be kind of a celebration of the anniversary of creation. And so there's just a lot that's in there, but the word also calls it to, to solemn rest. So we have kind of this tradition in this text that we go back and forth. The tradition, the rabbinical tradition, and the biblical text is kind of where we're at. So Rosh Hashanah is a, is a two-day holiday. It's a, it starts on the first day of the seventh month of Tishri, and it really marks the start of those high holy days. The high holy days uh, begin at Rosh Hashanah, and then they extend through 10 days of awe or 10 days of repentance that culminate at Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur being uh, the most holy day of the Jewish calendar. And, and at its core, it's incredibly prophetic. Now, there's a lot of symbolism that is in Rosh Hashanah, and, and kind of the first one, the one that you would see most often and hear and call your attention to would be the shofar. And so we're going to ask Philip to come up because Philip is going to demonstrate the shofar for us and a few of the ways it would be blown. But, but it is a, a festival of trumpets. So you would hear this over a hundred times throughout. There's four different ways that they would play the shofar. And the first one is tekiah. And it's a long single blast. It's the sound of the king's coronation. So Philip, do you mind? I love that. That's so good. Uh, and then we have a uh, shivrim, and it's three short whale-like blasts, and it signifies repentance. And the next one would be teruah, and teruah is nine staccato blasts of alarm, and, and they're to awaken the soul. <laughs> it is nice. <laughs> and the last one, and this is the good one. <laughs> Got to get pumped up for this one. Tekiah uh, Hagadol. And this is a great long blast for as long as you can blow. This is a celebratory blast, and hopefully, Philip won't pass out. Dude. Come on. Man, he's got some pipes, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I was you, that does something to me when you hear that. I just, I love that. Thank you so much. Uh, but, but there's a lot of significance and a lot of symbolism in the holiday. And, and so the shofar is, is central and it's one of those things that alerts you and, and draws your attention. But a lot of the symbolism is also in foods. And, and so that makes me happy because I love food. <laughs> so we were going to have a spread tonight, but with COVID, we, we couldn't. So one of the things that typically you'll see is the round challah bread. 
And the round challah bread is to mark the the never-ending churning of the years. Now, you'll also see apples with honey, so you probably saw that in the video. And the apples with honey are to signify a sweet new year. And and, and you might also see some pomegranate seeds that are displayed. And and the pomegranate seeds are supposed to be for all of the good deeds that the people of God plan to do in the new year. And and one of the last ones that we see... um, uh, is really eating new fruits. And so it's one of those things where you're exploring and you're, you're celebrating, you're having some new things. So Rosh Hashanah is a celebration of something new, something festive. It's an excitement about the new year um, that is to come. It's a time of community and new beginnings. Uh, but also, it's kind of got that introspective side, that, that Sabbath side that we're called to, um, and that side to kind of uh, take a look deep inside a little bit more. And so there's some of the words that, that you'll hear around Rosh Hashanah are um, teshuva. Say teshuva. teshuva. That's fun to say. Uh, teshuva is, is repentance. It's a turning back. It's literally translated a turning back. So we see this season is a season of repentance and turning back to God. Also, tefillah. You guys are good. Uh, Tefillah means prayer, and it's how we connect with God. It's a connecting with God through prayer. That's what tefillah means. And then tzaka. Yeah, if you can pronounce that better, you let me know, because I try on that one. (laughs) So uh, that's charitable giving. It's it's justice as well. And so um, we have all these symbolisms kind of of the, um, that come out of the rabbinical tradition, but there's also um, some, some symbolism and some symbols that come out of the biblical text. And the two biggest ones are trumpets and offerings. So it is a festival of trumpets. So the trumpet is foremost. But in fact, in those days, there was really just two trumpets. Uh, we can read about them over in Numbers uh, 10. It says... Um, The Lord said to Moses, make two trumpets of hammered silver and use them for calling the community together. The sons of Aaron, the priests, are to blow the trumpets. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you and the generations to come. And so um, these trumpets are multifaceted. They have many different purposes. Uh, The trumpet is blown um, to kind of bring the people and gather the people. I mean, this is a day where they don't have cell phones, right? You can't just like text a buddy and say, hey, you want to get together. Um, I don't know how it works in your house, but last week um, I was downstairs, Kristen was upstairs, and I didn't know if the dishes were clean. And so rather than just like shouting upstairs, I just like texted her, like, am I the only one that's that lazy? <laughs> like, that, they don't have that back then. So the trumpet was kind of the, the main way to communicate. So it was a way to call the people of God to come together. And depending on which trumpet and how they were played was who would come and when. And it was also a call to war. How do you organize yourselves for battle? How do you make sure you're able to defend yourselves? Well, you would do that based on the trumpet. Um, it was a call to worship, and it would be a call of celebration over the offerings. And so the trumpet becomes so central to the core of the culture. When the trumpet is blown, it gets your attention, and it calls you to respond. Right? When we heard that, it does something deep in you, and it resonates a response. And so we see in the Old Testament the symbolism of the New Testament, but it doesn't stop there. In, in the New Testament, we see that the, the trumpet is again used to sound the coming of our Messiah, the return of Jesus. And so when he comes back, the trumpet will be blown. We, hear, we can read that in 1 Thessalonians where it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
And so the trumpet is not just important in this holiday, it's important um, for all eternity. It's the thing that we're looking for with anticipation, because when we hear that blast, our Lord is coming back for us. But it's not just the trumpet, there's also the offerings. There's a, a number of different offerings that we can read about in Numbers 29. Numbers 29 goes into a little more specifics about the holiday than Leviticus. So it's a little bit of a long text. We'll read through it real quick. I'm not sure if it's on the screen or not. It says, on the first day of the seventh month, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. We just read about that in Leviticus. It's a day for you to sound the trumpets as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Offer a burnt offering of one young bull, one ram, and seven male lambs a year old, all without defect. With the bull, offer a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah, uh, the finest flour mixed with olive oil. With the ram, two-tenths, and with each of the seven lambs, one-tenth, including one male goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. These are in addition to the monthly and daily burnt offerings with their grain offering and drink offerings as specified. They are food offerings presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma." There's three main offerings that kind of jump off the page there. There's a, there's a sin offering, and there's a grain offering, and then there's also a drink offering. And that sounds a whole lot like communion, doesn't it? There's, there's a grain offering that is the bread, which is Jesus' body that was broken and bruised and pierced for us. And there's a drink offering that's the blood that was shed for us that bought us atonement and welcomes us into life with him. And the sin offering is a foreshadowing of the ultimate sin offering when Christ would go to Calvary. And so there, there's so much beauty in just the symbolism of this holiday. You know, I... I Typically, when I start studying a book like Leviticus or, or really any book, I want to get that 30,000-foot view, right? So I want to get up real high and kind of figure out, like, okay, what's this book about? Like, what's going on in the times? And so I did that with, with Leviticus. As I started digging into the study, there's three words that just kept popping up again and again and again, and that was holiness, purity, and atonement, and I kept reading about it's like a holiness. There's, there's a holiness. We've seen multiple times where God's called these people to himself. And holiness really means to be set apart. A holiday is just a day that's set apart, right? And we, we can read about an exodus where God says that the people of God will be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And later in Leviticus that um, they're holy, or you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations. So these high holy, high holy days are a time to remember that God has set his people apart. You know, a, a number of years ago, Kristen and I were um, in need of a new mattress. Um, that, that's not actually correct. Kristen was in need of a new mattress. Um, I had no desire to get a new mattress. What, they cost a lot of money. I can't stand shopping for mattresses. It's always a pain. Have you ever gone to a mattress store and they're not on sale? Right? They're, just, they're forever on sale, and you can't compare them. You can't go to one store and then to the next and say, well, I was looking at this one, because they just changed the outside and put a new sticker on them. And who knows what's on the inside? I have no idea. So I hate going to mattress shopping. Luckily, we do it every, I don't know how, I'm probably going to have to go again. But I'm a husband, so I went to the mattress store, right? And so there we go, and we're shopping for mattresses, and I'm just like outside just dreading this whole exchange. Like, the dude's going to ask me what I want. I have no idea. It's just foam to lay on. That's all I want, and I want to get back home. Can I just do that? And so we walk in there, and then here comes mattress salesman Steve. 
And I'm like, oh, great, here it comes. And we go through all the pleasantries of buying a mattress. What are you looking for? You know, it's firm, soft, whatever. Um, and you get to lay on them for a couple minutes. And, and something shifted in our conversation as we were with him. And, and quickly, we stopped talking about mattresses, and we just started talking about the Lord. And, and we're in this mattress store, and he begins to speak over us, and he begins to pray for us. And we're like hands lifted, middle of a mattress store. People are shopping, like, what is going on with him? And we're just having church. It was amazing. And, and the whole reason that happened is because that was a man of God who knew that he was set apart. And he knew that he had a purpose, and his purpose was to have a platform and a mattress shop to glorify the name of God. And Kristen and I walked out of there just in tears. I mean, we bought a mattress, but still, <laughs> we're just in tears. Like, what just happened? I thought we were getting some foam, and man, like, God just moved in just an incredible way. You know, when God sets his people apart, he does so for a reason. If you're faithful um, to that, he'll use you in incredible ways. Tim, 2 Timothy 1.9 says that God saved us and called us with a holy calling. You know, I've never met a holy person that wasn't a humble person. I've never met anybody who was set apart by God that didn't also exude humility but it's not just humility. There's, there's also purity that we see in the book of Leviticus. And purity is, is a condition. Like, we like to build it up as this, this big thing. But, but you know, the, the priests were um, uh, unclean at times. Like, the priests had times where they needed to, to get clean. It's understood that it's just a condition of life. Like, I lived in Colorado for a while, and they said, you know, if you don't like the weather, wait 30 minutes. It's just a condition. It's going to change, Right? And so as we are interacting throughout day, our days, like there's times where we will become unclean. The priests became unclean. But that didn't sacrifice their calling. It didn't sacrifice the position that God had put them in and what it was they were there to do. They were still the priests of God. They didn't need to be reconsecrated. They just need to be made clean. And the reason they need to be pure and be made clean is because they couldn't enter the tabernacle in that condition. God is a holy, righteous God, and he cannot be where the uncleanliness is. The tabernacle is what housed the presence of God. And so if you want to see an increase of the presence of God in your life, then you really need to lean into getting pure and letting God kind of remove some of those things out of you, which is exactly what this holiday is about. Ephesians 1.4 says that he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. You know, it's kind of a time in my life where I just had a lot of that kind of bitterness happening. Um, if you've been living for longer than like 10, 15 minutes, you, you've probably been there too, right? Uh, it was one of those like, um, you ever make a decision that, you know, I was like, meh, not, not, not totally right, but it's not really wrong, right? <laughs> you ever do one of those? I, that's what I did. And then, and then it just led to this unraveling of everything. Relationships started falling apart. Career stuff started falling apart. And just everything is down the tube. And bitterness and anger just started to set in because as I realized just how miserable I was, I realized the friends and the family I thought were going to be around me that would come and support me just weren't there. And so I just started building these little walls just around myself. Like, all right, then I'll just, I'm going to sit in my own misery and no one's coming in, right? And, and I sat in that for like four years. And then my buddy was getting married up in Carmel, by the way, beautiful. And I was living down in Vegas and he invited me out to the wedding. And so I jumped on my motorcycle and I started the ride up and it was like 23 hours on the bike in three days. Yeah, that hurt. And I get like two hours in, I've got no music, no nothing, just road noise, the wind. And it was like, God just tapped me on the shoulder. Hey man, we need to talk. And, and it wasn't condemnation. 
It wasn't like God said, hey, you've been doing this and you've been doing this. No, no, no. It was love. And he said, hey, I, I still have a call on your life. And there's still things that I want to do in and through you, but you're not going to get there if you're here. And so let's start dealing with that. Let's start unraveling some of that. And over the course of a year, Kristen and I started dating. Then we started getting engaged. Now we got three kids. All because God initiated this thing. You know, God will always make a way for us to find purity. And so I wonder today just, uh, you know, what sort of things do, do we take away from all this? We're about to enter uh, the next 10 days, the 10 days of awe, the 10 days of repentance. Uh, and that leads up to Yom Kippur, uh, which is uh, the day of atonement. Atonement coming from the, the Middle English word, uh, one mint. So it's the, the preposition at, at one mint. So atonement is us coming back into oneness with the Lord. And so I was wondering kind of a little bit about, you know, what is it that, that we can do through these times? What is it that God's calling us to? And, and I really think that he's calling us to holiness, calling us to a time of setting a, aside ourselves for him. And the ways to do that is, is to find time where you're in wonder and awe before him. It's called 10 days of awe for a reason. Ten days where you just sit before him and just, just marvel at how glorious and gracious he is. And then we also need to seek forgiveness. The holiday is about forgiveness. And so seeking forgiveness from the Lord, but also seeking forgiveness uh, from others. In Ephesians 1.4 read, in Jesus we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, the, the priests, to be able to be brought back into the presence of God, needed forgiveness in their lives. But we read over in Matthew that God's not just okay with that, but he wants us um, to have uh, forgiveness between us as well. So in Matthew 25, 23, and 24, he says, If you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go first and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So we need to seek forgiveness from the Lord, and we need to seek forgiveness from another. We also need to give forgiveness. I don't know about you, but there's often times where um, I feel kind of offended. I feel like this whole, nowadays, everybody's offended all the time, so I guess maybe it's okay. But oftentimes when I'm offended, the other person has no idea they've offended me. And, and so I just kind of, then that makes me more offended. Like, you should be offended that I'm offended, but you're not offended, so now I'm more offended. Um, and so I end up carrying around this unforgiveness, and I carry around kind of this, this weight and this heaviness about me that, that was never meant for me because um, a, a, a fence is taken. It's not given. You're taking offense, and it's not meant for you to carry. There's a, a, a quote from a famous author that I like. says, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Right? It's not going to work out much for you. So we need to seek forgiveness, we need to give forgiveness, and, and we also need to be mobilized. You know, God has set aside his nation, he's set aside his people to take the word of God, to take um, the gospel to the Jew and to the Gentile so that we can be reconciled to him. And that doesn't mean that we just sit along, even in times of quarantine, that we can't find ways to reach out to our brothers and our sisters who need to know Jesus. You know, it seems like this year especially is kind of one of those dark seasons where everything keeps popping up and every, every month there's something new and something strange. You know, there's um, uh, all the, the COVID stuff and then, uh, gosh, I can't remember what was next. And at one point there was murder hornets. Um, I don't even remember. You remember the murder, murder hornets? Yeah. yeah. They were just like, that's too crazy. We'll be back later. Right? And they <laughs> peaced out. <clears throat> 
But each month, there's some random thing that seems to pop up to kind of steal our joy and, and kind of rob us and, and inflict fear and anxiety into our lives. And that's not what God has for us. He says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We, we have a victory in the king. So I'd like the band to, to come up as we, we get ready to close. We'll land the plane here shortly. But you know, the, the next 10 days are, are the 10 days of awe and really rest and repentance before the Lord. And, and I wonder what it would be like if we as a body actually did that. Like, well, what if we just spent some time and intentionally spending time with him in awe before him, worshiping and, and just quiet and waiting on the Lord? What would that look like for us? I think we'd see a new release in our lives. And I think the same would be true in this ministry. Because you know, when a symphony is uh, coming into tune, it's not that the bassoon tries to get in tune with the trumpet who tries to get in, in tune with the flute who is then looking for the timpanies. That's not the way that happens. There's a conductor at the front that plays the tune and everyone aligns with that. And then the music can go out. And then the audience is blessed. If you were to try it the other way, it'd be complete chaos. So if we spent the next 10 days getting aligned with the conductor, what would happen in Beit Abba? I don't know if you've been watching the news, but Israel's been in it a time or two. It's, I mean, unprecedented times. I've heard so many times the news that it's exhausting in a, in a negative way. But good gracious, there's some unprecedented times that are happening in a really good way. And I want to be a part of that. And, and I think that this ministry is going to be a part of that. We are uniquely suited, uniquely positioned here in Northern California to be able to go out and take the gospel to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And so I just want to challenge you over the next few days uh, to just spend some time before the Lord. You know, Rosh Hashanah is the only Jewish holiday that starts in the dark. Every other holiday starts on a full moon. Rosh Hashanah is a, it is the first or the new moon. And so kind of culturally what would happen is there'd be two people that have to see that first sliver of the moon. I don't know if you're competitive, but my guess is there's a few guys that are out there just staring at the dark sky, just waiting, just waiting, because they know that the first light's going to come, and they want to be to the priest first, because they can bring the good news, and when two of them had confirmed it, then the trumpets would blow, and the people would be alerted that it's time. It's time to celebrate. It's time to repent. It's time for us to take action. There's something going on and we need to get together and get mobilized and get out. And my guess is some of you have probably spent time, I know I have, just staring into the dark, hoping there's a light and it just doesn't seem to come. But we don't have a faith that fails. We don't have a savior that fails. We know that the Lord is coming. Even in the dark days, there's goodness and there's mercy and there's grace that are upon us. For more information about Beit Abba, log on to our website at tfh.org slash Beit Abba or call our office at 707-455-7790.